Welcome to New Books and Critical Theory, which is a podcast that's part of the New Books Network. On this episode, I'm talking to Dr. Joy White about her new book, Terraformed, Young Black Lives in the Inner City. So welcome to the podcast. Morning, Dave. This is a fascinating book. Um, really, really interesting, uh, both in terms of the kind of broad uh, theoretical contribution it makes in terms of giving a real sense of kind of place and, and the importance of places, uh, but also being about music as well. Um, and, and those three things I found just really interesting uh, as, as I was reading it. And I guess the place to start with is where the book kind of came from, where the sort of um, ideas uh, in the book came from. So can, can you tell me a bit about what got you interested in writing about music places and then these broader kind of um, theories around things like race and, 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 and geography? Um, I think, I think for, for, for me, my, my, my interest started probably, probably at the point when I was, um, entering just before I was doing my PhD. Um, and I was, um, running a business in, in East London, um, in Newham and we take young people on placement. So they come in to do their, their two week work experience and, that was what sparked my interest in, I was always interested in young people any, anyway. Um, I trained as a teacher a long time ago, but didn't, didn't really, didn't really practice. But we get this steady stream of young people who are maybe 14 or 15. And Newham's a very, very multicultural borough. Um, I think it's up to a hundred languages are spoken. So it didn't really matter what the cultural background of these young people were, it didn't matter whether they were boys or girls, they would all come in listening to the same, to the same music. They were all um, engaged in, in some way, either as a ringtone, which shows you how long ago it was, <laughs> um, as a ringtone. Um, we had one young man that spent quite a bit of time on MySpace. And when I was kind of, you know, asking him what he was doing, he had this fan base of, of, of people for his music, the music that he was making. He was selling um, CDs of his own music in the playground. So all this kind of stuff. So um, the things that I was interested in, young people, enterprise, um, creative stuff, all kind of came together in looking at grime, um, where it came from, who was making it, and what the social, cultural, and economic impact of creating that 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 music was and I was looking at young people who weren't um who weren't categorized as being achievers I'm using that word um very carefully so these were the young people that that the school said weren't going to get um five a star to CGCSEs which was the the pathway into further education and um and success and I was just intrigued by these young people that were categorised as being not in education, employment and training, and because Newham's a multicultural borough, the majority of those young people were from um, were black and from ethnic minority backgrounds. And how can all of these things be true? How can these young people be underachieving um, in a school system, but achieving in other places and making um, something out of nothing? And I think that whole history of... Um, Grime emerging from East London um, in the early part of the 20, 21st century, you know, young people coming together in these kind of communal spaces 
in the, with this kind of edgy, um, hard fought conviviality, all of these kind of um, Black Atlantic influences all come together in these spaces to create this music that was, yeah, just just something else for me. I, I grew up in an era of um, sound systems and dance halls, so even though grime was a soundtrack of life in East London, if you knew any young people, I hadn't really paid that much attention to it until about 2006, 2007. Um, and in a way, in a way... Um, some of the themes that I touch on in Terraformed come out of that project, but it extend it in, in, in different directions to look at um, young black people's lives in, in, a, in, in a different way and from different perspectives. I mean, you, you mentioned kind of extending um, a project. I guess the other thing happening is, a project gets located really kind of really clearly um, in the context of, you know, not even just kind of East London, but uh, the borough of Newham and Forest Gate. And I was really sort of fascinated in the way that uh, that place is, you know, kind of the, the star of the show, I guess, through, throughout the book. Mm. Um, but it's dealt with as a site of, you know, as much as kind of like social struggle for control of space as it is, you know, as, as a place that clearly, you know, you've got um, a real kind of like warmth and, and, and fondness for. Um, but you're you're pretty kind of candid about the, the problems in the place. And these are problems that, you know, deal with things like gentrification uh, and the problems of, you know, um, transformations of the state and privatisation and, and outsourcing, all of which I think, you know, we'll, we'll come on to talk about but but the place to to really kind of to get a sense of um, how these maybe grand sort of sociological issues play out is by thinking about Newham and Forest Gate. So can you tell me a bit about about those places? Yeah, I I mean that 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 was that was my plan. Um, whether it works, uh, we'll we'll see. But Newham, as I as I said, is a is a very multicultural borough now i it's one of the most multicultural boroughs in the uk it's got um you can see in a place like newham the kind of um historical activities of 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 the british empire and how people come to be in in a particular place and and it has this kind of curious um history of being um having this tradition of, le- of left-wing politics I think at one time Newham Council had all Labour councillors there was there was no um, no opposition but at the same time if we're thinking back a few decades in, in the kind of 70s and 80s it also had this far-right um, uh, perspective as well it, it was an area of National Front activity and then and then BNP activity and so the the racial politics of the place are difficult and challenging, but at the same time, at the same time, the 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 young people that I'm talking about now have found a way of having some kind of sense of belonging um, to this place, um, while at the same time drawing on their their um, their cultural histories and heritage as well and what interests me and fascinates me about Newham is that for a long time it was a kind of outlier so it was 
that the East End on the edge of the East End before you got to West before you got to um, London Essex and and it is the place or one of the places that um, young people come together and grime comes out of and so on so we have all of that and and then we arrive at a point where Newham becomes desirable, it becomes affordable, it becomes attractive. And, and then the shape of the place and um, the population changes again. And it's those, um, those changes, those differences, how people move in and through that space, how they leave their mark on those places and spaces that I was trying to um, contextualise and then try to tell these these stories about how young black lives survive and thrive in these spaces as well to kind of make tell those those very human stories that get left out of um, statistics and um, the kind of writing about uh, writing about things as issues only without the without the humanity there. Yeah, I, I think that story of thriving obviously comes through um, in in the story of uh, of the music um, and some of the artists you you kind of highlight in, in the middle of the book. And I think one way of, of sort of getting to that is to think about those changes that you mentioned as well about you know the area becoming desirable. And there's there's maybe like two things going on that I got a sense from the book. One is that story of um, gentrification and, and social se- segregation, and maybe we'll talk about that shortly. But the other thing w- was, and you know, correct me if I've kind of misread this, but was a sense of the area being desirable as a site for making money um, through privatization and the outsourcing of, of service provision. And I found this really interesting because it almost kind of introduces or, or frames the book the way that um, these big kind of uh, outsourcing companies, so, you know, Carillion, Serco, G4S, uh, some of the companies you mentioned, how they, you know, there's a quote from from one of the senior managers about, you know, kind of making sure they're still allowed to take the public shilling, uh, you know, making sure there aren't kind of threats to that to that revenue. And I was really interested in, in how the place had become desirable for those organisations and how they kind of, I guess, you know, claim to provide and, and fail to provide public services? I, I think for, um, for those, those organisations, those service organisations, it, it is a, a place of, of, of opportunity. Um, local authorities are hard-pressed in terms of their finances and the services that they have to deliver, particularly if they have to deliver services um, to and for a population that are also struggling. And so it seems cost-effective and sensible to outsource those services to those those big organisations, but they're far removed from the everyday workings of, of, of people's lives. And so um, I'm sure all of those um, uh, uh, profit margins and profits are, are a matter of public record, um, but that doesn't translate into wages doesn't translate into living standards um, for the majority of the populations in these places and so um, I think I'll give the example of um, a custody officer in a prison earning just about 
um, the national average wage. But the national average wage would would cover uh, doesn't cover one month's rent on a one bedroom flat um, in a place like Newham. So the, the the disparities and the inequalities are there for all to see. It's just how how do we how do we navigate that? How do we how do we level it up so that the work that people do, which has value, which is important, and we, um, you know, that's there for all to see. How do we level it up so that um, people can have those those things: housing, affordable housing, you know, jobs that don't damage their um, emotional and physical well-being. And that's that's the that's the the kind of um, that's what I was trying to work through some of the things that I'm trying to work through in Terraformed, how, how do we do that? Because we have to. I guess that's where your, your ideas about hyperlocal demarcation are, are important. So I was interested in that uh, kind of theoretical yeah. contribution. It'd be good to, uh, to hear about that. Yeah. And I, I was trying to find, a, trying to find a way to look at, to look at um, the issues that I'd identified in terms of young black black lives, so to take um, to move away initially from a, a, a broad brush, and it is it is this idea for me about understand this um, C. Wright Mills and the understanding the life of an of an individual, and how can we do that? How can we understand society if we don't look at the lives of, of individuals as well? So I took the position that I was going to look at a very, very local spot, a very local spot to contextualise, try and contextualise the history of Newham and how young black lives have been affected by those changes in a place like Newham. And then I went even even smaller. I thought, well, not the whole of Newham. Let me look at one of the, the more desirable places now. Let me look at Forest Gate in particular and not all of Forest Gate, just a particular spot, a, a rough square mile. And let me look at um, the changes in that very, very um, localised space. And so I had the, the shape of what I was looking at, but how, how? How do I look at that? And so that was the theoretical perspective that I, I developed and used. So to look at the interaction between um, legislation and policy, um, town planning, communities, and sonic landscape, all of those things together and the impact that they have on on young people's lives, and especially in a place that's newly gentrified. And if we look at um, those things in that way, then we not only get, get a sense of um, some of those um, changes that have, have happened, but I think as well that we can take that and look look at the, the the bigger societal picture as well. We can look at other areas in other places, um, not even necessarily in the UK. Maybe that we can look at how those changes have impact because they come together in a particular way. You can have this idea that you're going to improve the landscape um, through town planning. You're going to improve the high street. You're going to make it a more have a more village feel and so on, which is a which is a good idea and a good thing. But at the same time, in having that good idea about giving um, a village feel, who gets displaced? Who gets moved away? Who who is not 
able to freely move in that space in, in the same way once those changes have been made. If, you, if communities, how do communities come together? They come together through um, leisure. If you can only access leisure, if you can pay for it, then who, who gets pushed out? The people that cannot pay for leisure are, are not then in those community spaces. So it becomes, when you start looking at the, the, the different um, layers in these very hyper-local um, spots and spaces, you start to see um, where the patterns are and how it happens that some people occupy exclusionary spaces. Yeah, I'm really struck by the, uh, the gentrification story, actually, and, and, and particularly that kind of, you know, exclusivity. So you, you give loads of, uh, of examples uh, later on in the book, uh, you know, stuff from estate agents, how the area is kind of like, you know, marketed and, and sold. Um, but I was struck by the kind of like individual personalized experiences of, of exclusion, which, you know, sometimes when we read kind of, you know, urban theory or urban sociology, there's a sense of, you know, yeah, these things have happened, money has flowed in, blah, blah, blah. But um, I was really struck by your own experiences of the farmer's market, of the coffee shop, of the pub, um, of how, you, you know, um, you'd have shops next to market stalls where there was a really clear segregation between who'd go to the market stall and who'd go into the shop. Um, and I'm interested if you could bring out a couple of those uh, examples to give a sense of that kind of social and spatial segregation. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's it's interesting because I, I thought, well, you know, I walk past these places every day, you know, or um, almost every day, but I hadn't I hadn't been in I hadn't been in um, the new coffee shops. I hadn't I'd walked past the farmers market, but I'd, I hadn't stopped there. So um, I went along. I'd, I'd seen the changes to, to, to the pub that's at the center of um, at the, the center of the the, the story. Um, but I hadn't been there, and I wondered why I hadn't. So I thought, well, you know, I, I, I went along, and yeah, it, it, there is there is there is something about watching multicultural Forest Gate or Newham walk past the window of a place, and you're sitting in that place, but you're pretty much the only black person in there. And and I wonder how because um, I don't know I don't think it's deliberate but it's about tastes and what um, what tastes have value and what leisure activities have value and what's on offer and and how you how you can get into those spaces you need you need the price of a meal to, to sit in the pub or the price of a drink to sit in the pub not not everybody has that and so when um, Going into going into those spaces for me was was quite was 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 interesting, challenging. You know, very comfortable, very pleasant. But at the same time, that feeling of, well, where is everybody else? Where is everybody else that that's like me? And it and so, um, the book does have that kind of ethnographic element to it because I thought it was it was important to talk about those things as as well so it is an academic book 
but it does have those those kind of personal reflections as well to just ground it to ground um, the the study because I'm not talking about other people as objects and other people's stories as objects. I'm talking about something that's happened to us um, in places like this. What about the music then? Because, you know, the sort of, I guess that story of gentrification, of privatisation is is one, maybe half of the book, and mm. it runs, you know, throughout the book. But obviously, like, you know, the real kind of heart of the book, um, over and above Forest Gate even, is the music. Mm. Um, and I guess before we do anything, we, we sort of probably have to explain what grime is. Um, I kind of hope. British listeners would know what crime is by now, uh, but it might be a genre that is, you know, kind of unfamiliar to US or other international listeners. So, yeah, could, could you introduce it a bit, uh, sort of, you know, maybe say a bit about what it is as a genre? I would, I would say um, that crime is um, is usually wrapped over 140 beats per minute. It's um, influenced by. Um, uh, reggae, dancehall, hip hop, UK garage, um, and it's a very um, English British expression, creative expression. It's Black British contemporary contemporary music. Rap um, is similar but slower, and so in the early grime days, that you could probably identify particular themes that people would would, would rap about, um, and it's got a very um, a very local feel and it was a very local genre that now has this kind of national, international um, reach. There's um, grime, grime is global um, in, in, in the same way that, that rap is, but it's, it emerged from and started out from these uh, East London uh, sites of um, conviviality um, young people coming together and making music that sounded like them and that mattered for them. And the the community spaces are, are very important because it's um, where young people could come together. Um, it's very it was very DIY, especially in the early days. So people had to share resources um, and 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 so on. So it's it's a I would say it's a a black British contemporary musical expression. Um, that is made by many and enjoyed by many around the world now. And how, how does it kind of um, present or or actually maybe represent Forest Gate? Uh, you, you've got a couple of kind of case studies around uh, videos um, from from various uh, artists and, and various kind of moments, um, and obviously they're in like really kind of stark uh, and almost critical contrast with the sorts of regeneration and gentrification uh, plans that, w- that we talked about. So, so what's the kind of Forest Gate story um, in Grime? Well, the, the Forest Gate story um, that I was trying to tell in Grime and rap, um, actually, was um, I think that the first video in there that I talk about is from 2008. So quite early days, but not that early. And it really is just a group of uh, teenagers and there's one MC at the front, Mini Sparks, and he's he's 
you know, he's putting putting the work in, he's practicing his rhymes, he's got his 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 people behind him, you have all the group shots, you know, people sitting on the wall. It's filmed probably on a on an uh, an early um camcorder, because the, the footage is quite quite grainy. And and then um we kind of move on to 2012 and and the the Woodgrange um, video, Woodgrange E7 video, which was originally posted up around the time of the Olympics and then then got taken down as part of um, the council's drive to remove anything that they said had um, a gang reference and then it got reposted again with a a disclaimer. And very similar visual, visual themes, but over a rap beat, talking very locally about the area, about Woodgrange Road. You get all the scenes from the local area as well. And then rolling on to the, the I think, the last um, video, which is Bass Man and Snizzy, um, filmed from a rooftop. And you can see the quality get get better and, uh, um, as the years go on. And um, by the time we get to Bass Man and Snizzy, there's a kind of weariness, I think, a, a kind of sadness and even though we have this long view of the area um it feels a little bit more melancholy the kind of youthful playfulness that's evident in the first video um has, has kind of has has gone a little bit um and i think what i was trying to do with those those um stories is to look at well where does where are the places that, that, that filming can happen, where people can gather? And, you know, those um, blocks in the first video, they're, not, they're, they're no longer available. They're not there anymore. Uh, not in the same way. They're not accessible in the same way. Uh, steel doors, um, intercoms, uh, and so on. So you can't gather in those places. And also... The, um, the legislation in terms of um, uh, ASBOs and public space protection orders don't allow young people to, to, to gather in, in the same way. Um, so the music tells, tells many, many stories um, about Forest Gate in particular. And, and Baseman um, has um, another video a track that's specifically about Forest Gate. It's part of the SBTV Better Place series where um, artists up and down the country rhyming over the same beat talk about their area. And he talks about coming to Forest Gate and finding a new place to call home. And I think that that resonates um, particularly with young people whose families have come from different places recently or otherwise. There are many many um, themes and threads in there, in, in the music that kind of hold you and give you space to reflect and think. You mentioned, um, I guess, the kind of the story of spatial exclusions um, and changes in the area. And, and, and obviously, you know, there are kind of bigger uh, trends in, in, in that um area of London around things like the Olympics and you, know, you mentioned kind of, you know, the, how this um, extends into censoring of, of um, you know, attempts to kind of um, transmit or um, make available the, the music. 
but there's a really kind of you know practical um element to these stories of kind of you know spatial or um changes in in access to uh to places and that's how the area is is policed and, and obviously like you know um stories of gentrification can seem as if they're just kind of processes of you know money comes in populations come in there is you know segregated use of, of, of shops or whatever but actually later on in the book you, you give these really clear examples of effectively a, a kind of you know a hostile environment that is you know anti-youth anti-black um and you know policing that is particularly kind of um yeah uh, hostile and aggressive mm. well um the use of um, various bits of legislation, so um, criminal legislation, but also other bits of legislation as well in terms of immigration policy, um, mental health, and, and, and so on. Um, and I, I think that Newham uses the kind of Section 60, which is where you can, you can say about a, a few streets or a particular area that the police don't have to have particular grounds to stop and search. It, it, it's it, if there's a, um, a threat of violence in a particular area. I think it was originally used for um, match days, football match days, but now it's used um, quite, quite regularly so that if, if there's an idea or there's been an incident, and what that means is that anybody within that, within that area can get, get stopped, stopped, and ser- stopped and searched. And so... It might be a recent use of a piece of legislation, but that hostile environment towards um, black youth goes back decades. You know, you can trace the line back to the um, the use of sus um, and and so on. Um, and I get, I do give some past examples of that in the book as well, so that we can see that there's there's a there's a, a history and a pattern to how some sections of our communities are policed and how often they're policed um, more harshly, more harshly um, than, than others. And, and then what does that, what does that do? What does that do to individuals who are on the receiving end? What, how, how does, how does behavior change? What stories do what do we tell ourselves about how we interact with those regulating authorities if there have been decades of this this um, hostile environment and, um, and and so on? And it's part it's another part of the story or the stories that I'm trying to tell um, that you have to look at how legislation is um, put into place. And who is subject to it as well? And in what ways they're subject to it? Because it's not always the same and it's not experienced in, 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 the, same, in the same way. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really um, important uh, insight from the book. And it, and it comes through, you know, really sort of personally as well throughout the book. And I think it's um, something that uh, people really should take time to engage with and and read for themselves in 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 the uh, in the book. I guess the place to kind of conclude is around where this fits into uh, your kind of research more more generally. Um, it, it strikes me that there's loads of kind of possible um, strands of research that come from the book, and there's you know possible research agendas that you could 
develop? Um, or is it a case of in writing the book um, that, you know, you, you'd like to move on to, to something maybe completely different in terms of your thought? What, where are you, are you thinking of uh, developing next? I think um, I'm at... I'm at the point now. I'm not. I'm. I'm not done with this by a long chalk. I think what what this book has allowed me to do is collect some of my some of my thoughts and ideas together and kind of put them in some kind of um, some kind of context. It's really important, I think, for. Um, black communities and all of us to remember about our our history um, in this place. There's been a kind of collective forgetting about um, why we're here and how we came to be here and what our contribution is. And that collective forgetting allows us to ignore um, some of the symbolic and structural violence that we've had to um, exist within and survive um, with and flourish out of. Um, and mu- music is and creative creativity is one of the ways that um, that we've we've done that. And so I think more and more for me, it's about placing um, those histories that work. Um, those societal contributions at the forefront um, of what's being written and what's being said. Um, so, yeah, I think for me, I thought it was an end point when I was writing it, um, Dave, but actually it's probably the starting point of a number of other projects as well. <laughs>